Al-Bayan Radio presents a brief explanation of the 40 hadith of Imam al-Nawawi presented by Farhan bin Rafi' Ahmed. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Inna alhamdulillah, nahmaduhu wa nasta'inu wa nasta'gfiruhu wa na'udhu billahi min shururi anfusina wa min sayyiyati amalina man yahdi illa falamudillala ومن يضلل فلن تجد له وليا مرشدا وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله الأحد القهار وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله حق تقاته ولا تموتن إلا وأنتم مسلمون Indeed, all praise and thanks belongs to Allah تبارك وتعالى alone We seek his help, his assistance and guidance in all things he whom Allah tabaraka wa ta'ala guides, there is no misguidance for him. And he whom Allah tabaraka wa ta'ala leads astray, there is no guidance for him except through the will and permission of Allah tabaraka wa ta'ala alone. And I bear witness and testify that there is no deity worthy of worship except Allah and that Muhammad ibn Abdullah ibn Abdul Muttalib al-Hashimi al-Qurashi was the final messenger and prophet sent to all of mankind. O you who believe, fear Allah as he deserves to be feared and do not die except in a state of Islam. Do not die except that you are Muslims. Rabbi shrahli sadri wa yassirli amri wa min lisani qawli. Alhamdulillah, this is lesson 46, hadith 29, part 1, bi'idhnillah. And... We will begin with the Arabic, the translation, and we'll begin with the commentary of the hadith straight away, insha'Allah. An Mu'ad ibn Jabalin radiyallahu anhu qal, Qultu, Ya Rasulallah, akhbirni bi'amalin yudkhiluni al-jannata wa yuba'iduni anil nar. Qala, laqad sa'alta an azim, wa innahu layasirun على من يسره الله تعالى عليه تعبد الله لا تشرك به شيئا وتقيم الصلاة وتؤتي الزكاة وتصوم رمضان وتحج البيت ثم قال ألا أدلك على أبواب الخير الصوم جنة والصدقة تطفئ الخطيئة كما يطفئ الماء النار والصلاة الرجل في جوف الليل ثم تلا قوله, قوله سبحانه وتعالى تتجافى جنوبهم عن المضاجع حتى بلغ يعملون ثم قال ألا أخبرك برأس الأمر وعموده وذروة سنامه قلت بلى يا رسول الله قال رأس الأمر الإسلام وعموده الصلاة وذروة سنامه الجهاد ثم قال ألا أخبرك بملاك ذلك كله قلت بلى يا رسول الله فأخذ بلسانه وقال كف عليك هذا قلت يا نبي الله وإن لمؤاخذون بما نتكلم به فقال ثكلتك أمك يا معاذ وَهَلْ يَكُبُّ أَنَّاسَ فِي النَّارِ عَلَى وُجُوهِهِمْ أَوْ قَالَ عَلَى مَنَاخِرِهِمْ 
Imam Nawawi rahimahullah states the 29th hadith on the authority of Mu'adh ibn Jabal radiyallahu an who said I said O messenger of Allah tell me of a deed which will take me into paradise and will keep me away from the hellfire. He, salawatullah wa salamuhu alayhi, the Prophet said, You have asked me about a great matter, yet it is indeed an easy matter for him whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes it easy for. It is that you worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala without associating anything with him and you perform your prayers, that you pay your zakah, and that you fast during Ramadan, and that you make the pilgrimage to the house. Then he, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, said, Shall I not guide you to the gates of goodness? Fasting is a shield. Sadaqah extinguishes sin as water extinguishes fire, and a man's prayer in the middle of the night. Then he recited, who forsake their beds to cry unto their Lord until Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala stated as a reward for what they used to do. Then he said, salawatullah wa salamuhu shall I not also tell you of the peak of the matter, its pillar and its topmost part, its peak, its pillar and its topmost part. I said, yes, O Messenger of Allah. He, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, said, the peak of the matter is Islam. The pillar is prayer, and its topmost part is jihad. Then he, sallallahu wa sallamuhu alayhi, said, and shall I not tell you of the controlling of all of that? I said, yes, O Messenger of Allah. So he, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, took hold of his tongue and said, Restrain this. I said, O Messenger of Allah, will we be held accountable for what we say? He, sallallahu wa sallamuhu alayhi, said, May your mother be bereft of you. Is there anything that topples people on their faces or he said on their noses into the hellfire other than jests of their tongue? Related by Imam At-Tirmidhi who said this was a fine and sound hadith. Now, as you all know, inshallah, that the method that we take in explaining the hadith is we look at all of the hadith. We look at the isnad, then the matan. And the isnad of this hadith is a companion that we have not taken previously in the previous 29 hadiths. The companion who narrated this hadith is one of the greatest companions of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Mu'adh ibn Jabal ibn Amr. His mother, her name was Hind bint Sahal. Hind bint Sahal. Imam al-Dhahabi rahimahullah states in his famous book, Sir Alam al-Nubala, 
السيد الإمام أبو عبد الرحمن الأنصاري الخزرجي المدني البدري شهد العقبة شابا أمرد أجن السيد الإمام أبو عبد الرحمن الأنصاري الخزرجي المدني البدري شهد العقبة شابا أمرد The translation Imam al-Dhahbi rahimahullah states The master, the leader, the father of Abdul Rahman And he was from the helpers of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi From the Ansar Those who were in Medina who helped the Prophet sallallahu alayhi From the tribe of Al-Khazraj One of the two sub-clans of Al-Medina From the city of Al-Medina And he witnessed the battle of Badr and he witnessed the pledge of allegiance, the pledge of Al-Aqaba as a young man who was Amrad. Now Amrad means someone who is young, Shab, doesn't have a beard, but he has facial hair, he has got the moustache going. For he was in that prime of his youth where he witnessed one of the greatest events that led to the opening of Medina As a young man with no beard But a little bit of facial hair Radiallahu an Abu Idris al-Khawlani Rahimahullah said Kana abyad wadi al-wajh That Mu'ad Radiallahu an was a white companion And his face was glowing And this is something that is Noted about Both types of companions when we took the darker companions, we stated the color of their skin. And when we take the lighter companions, it's just natural that you do the same. Then, Imam Al-Waqadi, rahimahullah, one of the greatest historians of يعني, Islam, stated, كَانَ مِنْ أَجْمَلِ الرِّجَالِ وَشَهِدَ الْمَشَاهِدَ كُلَّهَا That he was from the most beautiful of people. Most beautiful of the people that were there at the time. And he had witnessed all of the main events with the Prophet And there are other descriptions given about Mu'ad that he was tall, that he had big eyes, that he had يعني, noticeable teeth, يعني, descriptions about his hair. But insha'Allah, that is sufficient. Ibn Hajar, rahimahullah, states in the famous book, Al-Isaba, that he embraced Islam at the age of 18 He embraced Islam At the age of 18 A very tender age A very يعني, important age But what is important here Is to note That he wasn't a Muslim all of his life And he died at a time Inshallah we'll get there But how much he made In a very short amount of time How much effect this companion Radiallahu an Made in a very short span of time And what is also very important That we can take from this Is that many of us Have lived lives away from Islam And a lot of us Have come into Islam With our hearts wholeheartedly At a later age And these companions Radiallahu anhum ajma'een Were examples that were given to us That were placed for us As qudwa As people that we can Look and try to emulate in their ways 
people that you can say that this person embraced Islam at the age of 18 and look at what he was able to accomplish. His position with the Prophet was something extraordinary, something amazing. To the point where the Prophet stated in a famous hadith, Ya Mu'adh, Wallahi, inni la'uhibbuka. In another narration, Ya Mu'adh, Wallahi, inni la'uhibbuka. Ya Mu'adh, Wallahi, inni la'uhibbuka. O Mu'adh, by Allah, I take an oath by Allah that indeed, ta'kid, not only that the qasam was enough, a qasam from a prophet. And then he says, inni, indeed, I love you. And in another narration, he repeated this three times. By Allah, indeed, O Mu'ad, I love you. And the Prophet ﷺ, in his method of advising, was beautiful. He started the hadith off in this manner. Getting ready the way that he was go- who he was going to advise. So he starts off with something that is very, very good. Something that is encouraging. Imagine someone tells you that he loves you. What comes after this is only from a point of love. Only from a point of care. Only from someone that wants good for you. What does he say? He says, O Mu'adh, after stating that he loves him in a narration three times, he says, I advise you, I advise you, O Mu'adh, do not let any prayer go by except at the end of it you say this dua. O Allah, help me that I may remember you and that I may praise you and thank you, glorify you, and that I have ibadah, worship that is upright and correct. How did he start the hadith? When you go to advise someone, the method of tarbiyah is you don't just give the advice straight on to someone who's not muhayya, someone who's not ready for it, someone who might not take it, might take it, someone who could even take it, of course Mu'adh would take anything that the Prophet would say, but you want him to love it. You want him to just take it and never leave it. And the ulama state that Mu'adh never abandoned this dua. And not only that, from this method that the Prophet ﷺ used, the entire ummah, when hearing this, when it comes to their mind, will try to use this. Allahumma inni ala dhikrika wa shukrika wa husn ibadatik at the end of your prayer. A dua that all of us have heard, maybe not in the right context, but all of us have heard this dua. Oh Allah, help me upon your remembrance and to be thankful to you and that I may be worshipping you in the correct manner. Subhanallah, what a beautiful dua. He was, subhanallah, Mu'adh, one of the special chosen to be assistants to the Prophet ﷺ. People who would help serve the Prophet ﷺ. In a famous hadith, of Mu'adh al-Athar, where he states, "Kuntu radifa Rasulillahi sallallahu alaihi wasallam." I was someone who would help and assist the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam in something specific, as riding, holding the ride of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi when you, yani people, head of state, people that were important back in the day, you wouldn't just have anyone riding and holding you and guiding your, yani mount, the ride that you'd have. You'd have the people that you trust the most. 
the people that you want closest to you, the people that you really want around you, the people that you want others to see, he is serving the Prophet. He is serving the Prophet, which means it gives you a form of legitimacy. For this is one of the tasks that Mu'ad radiallahu an had. And he continues, and this is something that's kind of cute. He says, Ala Himarin Yukalu Lahu Ufair. On a donkey that was called, that people used to call it Ufair. And this gives you some of the يعني, intricacies of how the Arabs used to be. And not just the Arabs, even Rasulullah used to be with even giving names to the things that he would ride. Another name of another donkey that you might uh, hear about is an, uh, something, uh, it might have been a camel, it might be a donkey, my mind is slipping, but it just came to me. Dul Dul. Dal Lam Dal Lam. Dul Dul. This was another ride of the Prophet. But this shows the intricate nature that we have recorded of everything of the Prophet, even what they used to call his donkey. Subhanallah. Now, the level of knowledge uh, of Mu'ad radiallahu an was something that was accepted by all of the companions radiallahu anhum ajma'een and also it was not something just after the Prophet it was during the time of the Prophet also I'll give you examples of both after the death of the Prophet it was agreed upon and something that was established of the level of knowledge that Mu'ad had and even in the time of the Prophet it was known the type of knowledge that he had in Sahih al-Bukhari and Sahih Muslim Anas radiallahu an states جمع القرآن على عهد رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم أربعة كلهم من الأنصار أبي بن كعب وزيد وأبو زيد ومعاذ بن جبل رضي الله عنهم أجمعين أنس رضي الله عنه states in this famous أثر uh, that is found in both صحيح البخاري and صحيح مسلم that four people four were able to combine and memorize the entire Qur'an in the lifetime of the Prophet So this is a hadith that's coming after the death of the Prophet. Anas is saying that only four in the lifetime of the Prophet had memorized the entire Qur'an. And he says, كلهم, All of them الأنصار, All of them were from the Ansar. A quick يعني, request, if the brothers can just put their phones on silent, it would be a benefit to all of the classes, يعني, insha'Allah. Uh, all of them were from the Ansar, the companions of the Prophet ﷺ from Medina, the companions who were the helpers of the Prophet. ﷺ. So, not only did they help the Prophet ﷺ by giving themselves up to the Prophet ﷺ in their wealth and in their safety because they opened Medina up to be attacked from every side, but they were also the foremost in studying. Foremost in giving themselves to this religion in even the pursuit of knowledge. All of the four who had gathered the Quran were from Medina, were from the people of the Ansar. Who were they? Ubay ibn Ka'ab, radiallahu anhu. Ubay ibn Ka'ab, Zayd, Zayd al Harith, Abu Zaydin, wa Mu'ad ibn Jabal, radiallahu anhum ajma'in. In Sahih al Bukhari, and in Sahih Muslim, an Abdullah ibn Amrin radiallahu anhu, qala, qala Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Abdullah ibn Amr is saying that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, 
خذ القرآن خذ القرآن من أربعة Take the Quran from four Take the Quran What's the Prophet saying? In his lifetime Revelation was revealed upon him And he is saying I can't teach all of you Take the Quran from four يعني Of course the Prophet was giving all of his time up for the da'wah But it's not feasible, it's not practical that everyone comes and every single verse they took from this the Prophet No, the Sahaba would learn from both of them, some of them from others يعني Umar an would have a person that he would work with And he would say, one day I go to the Prophet and you teach me what he said And one day you go to the Prophet and you teach me what he said يعني they take turns in teaching each other because they couldn't be with the Prophet ﷺ at all times They had other duties and other things that they had But the companions served as teachers to one another But the Prophet ﷺ is highlighting a point here He's saying four are the best and foremost in this regard Four are the best in the Qur'an Who are they? Ibn Mas'ud Ubay ibn Ka'ab Mu'ad ibn Jabal Salim Mawla Abi Hudayfa. Four who were Ibn Mas'ud, Ubay ibn Ka'ab, Mu'ad ibn Jabal, and Salim, Mawla, Abi Hudayfa. Now, something that is important here, and that it was not just the recitation of the Qur'an, that it was also the meanings of the Qur'an and the tafasir of the Qur'an also. It's not just يعني, the Qur'an by itself, no. It was the intricacies of the Qur'an. These were scholars in the Qur'an. Scholars in the Quran. Now, in the Musnad of Imam Ahmad and in Sunan al Tirmidhi and Ibn Majah, uh, the Prophet gave virtues of some of his companions, some of the defining characteristics of each of his companions, some of the most foremost that we all know about. Some of the main companions, not all of them, just some. And he said, who were the foremost in certain fields? It'll make sense when I say that, actual hadith. Just building hype. But Anas radiallahu anh said, the Prophet said, Arhamu ummati bi ummati Abu Bakr. That the Prophet said that the most merciful from my nation to my nation is Abu Bakr. The most merciful from my nation to my nation is Abu Bakr. And the one who adheres most staunchly, most sternly to the religion of Allah is Umar. And the most sincere in shyness was Uthman. Why am I bringing this hadith? Can someone put two and two together? I know you all did. And the most knowledgeable of that which is permissible and that which is forbidden, that which is allowed and not allowed in this religion was Mu'ad. وَأَفْرَضُهُمْ زَيْد And the most knowledgeable in the matters of inheritance was Zayd رضي الله عنه And every nation has a trustworthy guardian 
and the trustworthy guardian of this nation is Abu Ubaidah. Now, what we want to focus on here is the one that was the most knowledgeable in halal and haram, that which is permissible and that which is forbidden, was Mu'adh. Imagine in the time of the Prophet ﷺ, who was re- receiving revelation, he is saying, the one after me, طبعاً, who has the most knowledge in halal and haram, is that person there. What does that mean? He was a teacher after the Prophet ﷺ. He was someone that the companions would go back to. He was a marja' for the companions. Someone that they would go back to when they had problems. Someone they would go back to when things didn't make sense. Radiallahu anhum ajma'in. Now, there is a narration that has weakness that is found in Tabaqat of Ibn Sa'ad, rahimahullah, that when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam sent Mu'adh to Yemen uh, in the ninth year of the Hijrah, he said, يعني, he sent a letter in which it said, Inni bu'ithtu lakum khayra ahli. That I am sending to you, that I have sent to you the best of my people. I have sent the best of my people to you. يعني, it shows that he didn't just have Mu'adh as just another companion. No, he was someone that was very, very close to his heart. Now, before that, what had happened was that we all know the story of Fath Makkah, when the Prophet ﷺ conquered Mecca. But the Prophet ﷺ didn't stay in Mecca. The Prophet ﷺ had to leave Mecca because he had to go back to Medina. Because he stated to the people of Medina that I'm going to die with you. <laughs> and it's, you are my people. So what had happened is that someone needed to stay behind. Someone needed to teach the people. Someone needed to be the appointed teacher of the people. Authorized by the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and he was Mu'adh ibn Jabal. Mu'adh ibn Jabal, radiyallahu an. Mu'adh ibn Jabal was instructed by the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam to stay in the holiest city of Islam, the most important thing. Yani twenty years as a lead up for this event. Who does he leave behind in? The capital of Islam, not the governing side, the capital of Islam. Who does he leave appointed upon its people? Mu'adh ibn Jabal. Shows you, this is not someone that we're dealing with that's just an anybody. And what did he instruct him to teach them? Fiqh, the understanding of this religion, and also the Quran. But why is this important? Is that because Mu'adh ibn Jabal had a certain mahara, a certain skill, which was giving da'wah. Giving da'wah. And he understood the religion because Mecca at that time were not all Muslim. They had accepted Muhammad as their leader. But they were given a time frame to either accept Islam or to leave. That was your, you have certain time frame. But who did he leave behind to teach the people? Mu'adh radiallahu Now in the Musnad, uh, and also after that that happened, in the eighth year, in the ninth year, he sent Mu'adh radiallahu an after his job in Mecca was done to go to Yemen. He sent him to the people of Yemen in the ninth year after the hijrah of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Now, in the Musnad of Imam Ahmad, there is a, a narration that, yani, when I read it, it breaks your heart. To be completely honest, 
you have one, no, astaghfirullah. But when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he sent Mu'adh radiallahu an to Yemen, he, Rasulullah, was walking alongside Mu'adh. Mu'adh was on his mount. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam was walking beside him until they had become secluded. So imagine this. The Prophet sallallahu is not, he's, he's walking beside Mu'adh. Mu'adh is on the mount. So we know the famous hadith of Mu'adh, the first hadith in Kitab al-Tawheed, as inshallah we, we all know, that when Mu'adh was sent to the people, he said, you're going to a people of the book, so the first thing that you call onto them is Tawheed, shahadatan la ilaha illallah, that testifying that there is no deity worthy of worship except Allah. And he told them, he taught him the method of da'wah to this people. To the people of Al Kitab, the first time that it has happened, where Yani Rasul sends a person to become an envoy for this area, يعني, and then after that Ali radiAllahu anha joined. But as this instant was happening, يعني, what is something that is really heartbreaking is that uh, the Prophet after they had walked a little bit and they'd become secluded, uh, the Prophet وسلم, stated, Ya Mu'adh. He said, Oh Mu'adh, perhaps you will not see me after this year. You will not see me upon your return. And perhaps you will come and see my masjid and my grave. And upon hearing this, Mu'adh began to cry. Now, uh, there is an ending of the hadith where it says, Do not cry, uh, Ya Mu'ad. And the ending of the hadith uh, is something that is separate to this, but just the fact that the Prophet ﷺ at this time in the ninth year knew that his death was approaching because he was seeing the flourishing of his da'wah. He was seeing victory after victory now. And what he wanted to say to a person that he loved was that, You will not see me. Perhaps you will not see me. After this, yani giving him tidings that this is the last time that we will be together. And that is what had occurred. Ibn Abbas, yani after the death of the Prophet wasallam, uh, respected Mu'adh. They had a, a deep level of respect for Mu'adh. And to a level where he would rival and compare him. Yani shabih, him, yani compare him to Ibrahim to Ibrahim السلام, that he was a nation in Aman a nation in Aman المشركين, he used to read this يعني, constantly and someone would say you've made a mistake it's Ibrahim 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 was someone who was upright upon the natural disposition and he was not of the polytheists but over here Ibn Abbas would read this that Mu'ad Mu'ad was a Muslim Hanif someone upon the natural disposition someone who was not a polytheist a nation in a person and this is يعني, something that when you look at Mu'ad عن, he changed the course of wherever he went wherever he went wherever the Prophet ﷺ instructed him to be he made something there. Till now, these two places, Mecca and Yemen, are center points of Islam. Subhanallah. And it's from the da'wah, initially, of the da'wah of Mu'adh radiallahu anhu. Umar, 
radiallahu an, after the death of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, also loved Mu'adh greatly. He loved him a lot. And subhanallah, there was a, it was a famous story that had happened, and you know, I don't want to go to the ins and outs of it, but basically there was a, a lady who her husband had disappeared. It became a span of years, a year or two. And she came back, and she was bearing a child. And so Umar said, one and two together, we need to stone her. And then Mu'adh said, you have a right upon her, but you don't have a right upon the child. You can't kill the child. The child is... And he is sinless, he's not at fault. So you have to wait till she gives birth. So then Umar said, okay. And then what had happened is that she gave birth and the facial description of that child was exactly as the father that was there. And he said, this is my child. This is my child. How that happened, what happened. But the famous thing that I want to focus on here is... That Umar radiallahu said, عجزت النساء أن تلدن مثل معاذ ولولا معاذ لهلك عمر. That the women are not able to bear the likes of Mu'adh. They can't, they can't, يعني, not his type can be born anymore. And if it wasn't for Mu'adh, then Umar would have been destroyed. And you have to understand, a ruler is only as strong as the people that he has around him. Generally speaking And the types of people That the Khulafa al-Rashidin had around them Is what gave them the success that they had That they had noble companions Noble, noble tabi'een Noble people around them To help and guide them Noble people that they could rest upon For their advice Now Mu'adh There's another story of uh, Umar There's a few stories of Umar And Mu'adh But another story is that Mu'adh wanted to leave Medina and go into uh, Syria. And Umar said that with Mu'adh leaving, Medina has lost part of its fiqh and lost part of its knowledge because of what Mu'adh used to teach the people of Medina. Medina had lost part of the knowledge that it had from what Mu'adh used to teach the people. To the point where Umar went to Abu Bakr and tried to stop him from going. Tried to keep him in Medina. And Abu Bakr famously replied is that this person is someone who wants shahada. He wants martyrdom and I will not imprison him to not gain that glad tiding and that blessing. Uh, another story of Umar is that one time Umar wanted to test some of the Sahaba And in the part of Umar, uh, of Mu'adh He gave him a certain amount of money I believe it's around 800 uh, dinar or dirham But basically he sent a khadim and said Stay there and watch what he does with it Just suss him out So basically what happened Is that he had the money And he said immediately after he got it He sent and he, he got his, uh, his jariya his either it was either his wife or his slave I'm, I'm forgetting but basically said take a few there to this person a few there to this person there to this person to the point where the person that he was talking to said 
we are in need. We are poor. We need some money right now. So he gave her two of the there was dirhams or dinars, and he gave the rest away completely. And يعني, then the news came back to Umar, and this had happened to another companion also, where he gave everything fi sabilillah, and he said these uh, brothers from each of them came the other. يعني, all of the companions, this was their nature. Radiallahu anhum ajma'in. Now, Shahr ibn Hawshab, one of the greatest of the tabi'een, min kibar tabi'een, the generation that followed the companions, radiallahu anhum, he said, when the companions used to be in a gathering, then and Mu'adh would be there, they would look at Mu'adh, honoring him and venerating him. Yani when the companions would be together talking about you, and Mu'adh was present, they would all be looking at Mu'adh, radiallahu an, honoring him and venerate, venerating him from yani, uh, the status that they held for him. Now, one of the most famous instances that had occurred with the Prophet وسلم, and Mu'adh is that the people of Mu'adh and his, where he was from they said we want you to come and pray with us the Isha prayer we don't have anyone we prefer you lead us and he's like I'm not going to miss the opportunity to pray with the Prophet وسلم, just so I can lead you all so basically he said if you want you can wait for me you can wait for me I'll pray and I'll come to you. It'll be basically a fard for you, sunnah for me. So they said, okay, we'll wait. So they basically stood waiting for Mu'adh after Mu'adh finished his prayer with the Prophet and then Mu'adh goes to his people. Now he goes and mashallah, one of the greatest companions who lived, starts the salah and starts reading Alif Lam Mim. A guy in the back is tired and he it says Alif Lamim. <laughs> and he breaks the prayer, prays by himself, and leaves. By the way, this guy is still first rakah. <laughs> he's prayed and he's left. Now, someone told Mu'adh what had occurred. And the prayer had finished, and they'd come and said, So and so, he was with us, prayed, broke the prayer, prayed by himself, and legged it. Now, Mu'adh, someone who left the prayer, abandons the prayer, prays by himself, doesn't pray in the jama'ah, the jama'ah is in front of him, he says this person is nothing, he's a, hypocr- he's a hypocrite, he's a munafiq. Now this guy hears what Mu'adh says about him and goes to the Prophet and basically says, yeah, Rasulullah, we're tired, we're working all day, and he's reading from Alif Lam Mim. And he calls me a munafiq for leaving the prayer. Now, the Prophet calls Mu'adh and in one of the narrations, he is furious with Mu'ad. Furious with Mu'ad. To the point where he says, Afatanun anta ya Mu'ad? Are you someone who's causing mischief? Someone who's trying to make things difficult? Someone who's trying to bring upon hurdles for the people? Why don't you read from? And he listed some of the suwar from Juz'amma, some of the short surahs. But basically, it was a relationship. That the Prophet ﷺ, yes, he loved him, but he would not ever misplace his love to not speak the truth. Yani when there was something that needed to be made evident, something that needed to be made, clarifi- a clarification needed to be made, he would say, this is the truth. It's not just because I love you. Yes, we have the other hadith where he said, Ya Mu'ad, inni li'uhibbuka. I love you, O Mu'ad. By Allah, I love you. 
right? But over here we see this hadith and he's holding him into account, putting him in his yani rightfully sometimes certain things are more grave than others. What is also very important from this story is that sometimes you doing something just because you have a good intention is not good. It's not good enough. Sometimes there is something that you have to weigh up the options. What is going to bring about harm and what is going to bring about goodness. So over here, is there anything wrong in praying? Is there anything wrong in extending your, prolonging your prayer? No. However, the Prophet ﷺ saw that the maslaha, Allahu alam, was that if everyone knows that the prayer is going to be an hour long, two hours long, no one's going to come to the masjid. They're going to abandon the masjid. They're going to abandon the prayer together in the jama'ah. So for this fitna, he said to Mu'adh, read from the shorter surahs. Read from the shorter surahs. And also, another thing that we learned from it is that it wasn't just abuse. Afatanun anta, get out of here. No. And you're causing mischief? Leave. No. He gave him the remedy on how to fix this issue also. Read from the short surahs. Not just abuse, not just something that could be seen as aggressive, not just something that could be seen as يعني, uh, negative. No. Always with a solution. Now, يعني, this class has gone on for a bit too long. I see a lot of people a bit upset. Uh, he, الله, died in the plague. Uh, and it was uh, in the time of Umar, radiallahu uh, and he died at the age of 34. He died at the age of 34. Embraced Islam at 18 and died at the age of 34 in the year 18 after the Hijrah of the Prophet. Now, something that I wanted to make note of is that he embraced Islam at 18. 18. Died at 34 and died in a plague. And this was after he heard that the Prophet had stated that the plague itself is a blessing. And that it is how the people of the previous generations, the good of the people, would had died previously. So he made a dua and said, if this is a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, then let me and my family get the greatest share of it. And he had the plague on his hand, it affected his hand. And he said that this is greater than me, than humr al-ni'am. And this is than the red camels, the, the highest status of wealth at that time, getting the plague and dying upon that. And he died as a shaheed. And Ibn, uh, Imam al-Dhahabi rahimahullah stated after the story of him wanting to go to uh, Syria for fighting for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that sometimes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes a person a shaheed in their own bed and he died in his own bed. Radiallahu anhum ajma'een. All of the companions, it is estimated that around 25,000 people died in that plague. And يعني, this was one of the great catastrophes that had happened. But it happened uh, in Syria after يعني, uh, other issues. And we took uh, other parts of this in previous lessons. And I think that's enough. وَصَلَّى عَلَى نَبِيْنَا مُحَمَّدُ وَعَلَى آلِهِ وَصَحْبِهِ وَسَلَّمُ جَزَاكُمُ اللَّهُ خَيْرًا وَالسَّلَامُ عَلَيْكُمْ وَرَحْمَةُ اللَّهِ وَبَرَكَاتُهُ This program was presented by Al-Bayan Radio. The voice of Ahlus Sunnah wal Jama'ah.